welcome to episode 168 of Auto Off Topic. Hello, Brad. What's going on, Andrew? Not much. Are you feeling better? Um, I'm on the road to recovery. How's that sound? Yeah. I mean, you didn't sound that bad for the last recording, but you do sound no, a little I better. Didn't, a little cheerier. I didn't, I didn't feel good, that's for sure. I had some serious post-nasal drip, and I was on like every cold medicine known to man. So if the last episode was a little slow, that's probably why. I don't know. You did pretty well. All right, excellent. I had to go through and edit the whole thing, so you sounded all right during the whole thing. So Excellent. I edited out well, all of I, your parts. If I break the... Yeah, probably. Probably worth it. <laughs> Just Andrew talking into the void with no responses. I like yes. it. That would, that would be a wonderful, wonderful podcast to listen to, said no one ever. So something just popped into my head uh, from our little car group chat that we have. Because sure. uh, somebody posted a Suzuki Samurai. And to me, that's like a vehicle that it's a forever used car. Like, I can't imagine that vehicle ever being sold new. I know it was sold new, but, like, I can't picture someone going to the dealership and buying one brand new. Well, that's because in 1986, you were two years old. Yeah, but, like, I don't know. I can't imagine, like, somebody actually wanting to spend the money on a brand new Samurai. Except a brand new Samurai wasn't a $30,000 vehicle. They were cheap. They were super, super cheap. They were probably two-thirds the price of our equivalent Wrangler at the time. So you got two kinds of people that bought them. You yeah. Had people that wanted cheap transportation, and you had people that wanted the off-road capability. And a lot of them were sold new as tow-behinds for RVs. Yeah. Or they were sold to people who owned a second home in Maine in the woods or in Arizona in the desert or... Somewhere they had a second place to keep a smaller vehicle. It was an economical vehicle to have around. I'm sure there were some people that bought them as their only car. Um, and those would be, you know, less common probably than those who bought them as a second car. Yeah. But I, I think of that today kind of like um, a Razor, like a side-by-side. Yeah. I mean, it's. I think a Razor is bigger than a Samurai now. Yeah, probably. Was it a Roxor? Yeah. The, the new Jeep thing? So the the advantage, obviously, was a Samurai was street legal, so you could get in it and drive it to the store. Yeah. But. Well, depending on where you live now, these side-by-sides can be legal. Oh, yeah. Out here in Phoenix, you could put plates on it. All you need here in Phoenix to get plates on a vehicle is headlights and taillights. And then there's no helmet law, right? So you don't have to wear a helmet with the side-by-sides. Right. You put motorcycle plates on them, but there's no motorcycle helmet law, so you don't need to wear a helmet. Oh. So they're way more dangerous than a car. Yes. And less maneuverable than a motorcycle. Yes. Yeah. That makes sense. And totally street legal. Yeah. Here, anyway. Yeah. Honestly, I kind of want to keep my eyes peeled for a used Roxor when they come down and like, because they're like 15 grand new, and 15 grand is a lot of money to me. Yeah, I know there's not, like, much structure to them, but to me, like, now, with the import laws the way they are, it seems more appealing to me if I had a second home where I needed, like, a golf cart to get around. Like, I would just get a K car, like a K van instead. Yeah, for sure. Because... That's that's us being weird, though. Most people don't want to deal with the hassle of importing a car and then importing parts every time it breaks. I guess, but it would barely break because you're not driving it that much. You are correct. But again, most people are not us, and most people are not our listeners. So I feel like people that listen to the show and us have a higher 
take rate for something like that. Like I would all day long buy a Mitsubishi K truck or K van yeah, or any it, brand. Yeah, exactly. Cause then I'm like, <laughs> Oh, I can't drive my golf cart to uh, the convenience store, but I can take the K car. Right. And it takes the same footprint almost as a golf cart. Basically. And it takes, and it's way less, it, it's a super nerdy vehicle, but it's somehow way less nerdy than a golf cart. Yeah. Especially these people that live on these communities. So we have a community here in Phoenix called Sun City, mm-hmm. and it's a 55 plus. Um, I, I, I don't want to call it an, like a retiree community because it's not quite there. A lot of people that live there are just 55, so they still are pretty active and they work or they're like freshly retired snowbirds. But their entire community is legal to drive golf carts around. Yeah. Um, and you'll see a lot of them that have the... Uh, I don't want to get into this whole discussion on the podcast. Of, like the of, lifted ones? Of, of age groups here, but they have what you would consider a um, somebody in the 55-plus age group to own for a golf cart. Yeah, they're lifted with chrome wheels and stereos and candy paint and Bronco body kits, and they park them in the garage next to their full-dress Harley. So there's a lot of those there, and I think that that is a super embarrassing vehicle, yeah. and I can't imagine never driving it. But this is coming from me, who would daily drive a K truck. Yeah, but it's and like not, and not be embarrassed. Way more useful. Oh, it's a hundred times more useful. I agree a hundred percent, and it's fully enclosed and air conditioned. Yeah. I don't understand why you would even want one of those golf carts, but it's like a status symbol in yeah. those kind of communities. Actually, I was just thinking, like, I get some uh, renovations you around the house. I was like, man, I. I kind of wish I had a pickup truck, but maybe if I really need one, I'll just rent one for a day. And then I was like, oh, maybe, yeah, that just popped in my head. Like, I should look for like a K truck. <laughs> yeah, they're like 4000 bucks. They're not expensive. Because my dad really was like, get a have... cheap pickup. And I was like, there's no such thing as a cheap pickup. Because... Well, there is, but then you're going to work on it because it's exactly. a rusty truck. I, and I said to him, I'm like, a cheap pickup means, yeah, I didn't spend much money on it, but I guess I spent a bunch of money on it making it drivable and able to pass the stupid inspection laws here. Right. To even be able to use it. And then you spend all that time doing it. But Yeah, it's not worth it. I got way off here. What um so I was gonna ask you like if there's any other vehicles that or anything you consider like a forever used car. Like to me like a uh early nineties Saturns were like just always be a used car. Like like well, I know people personally who bought Saturns brand new. Yeah. So I can't really. It's I can't a weird really car that to one. buy new. It is a weird car to buy. It would be like a, uh, the people that bought Daewoo's brand new. Again, though, you're talking about a certain market that still exists, and they buy Versa Notes and Mitsubishi Mirages without any enthusiasm about this small car world. They just want to get in the cheapest car possible in the market. Or Hyundai. So you have... So in 1980... Five was Hyundai's first year? Probably. Sounds about it right. Some, it was somewhere in that range. Someone will correct us. They were an unknown vehicle. They were an unknown from an unknown country that we never had sold any vehicles from the country before. But people went out and bought them because Hyundai was like, hey, we're going to sell you this car. So the cheapest Japanese car in the market right now is, say, $7,000. We're going to sell this car to you for 4500 bucks." And you're going to get bargain basement shoppers that are just looking for the cheapest possible way to get to and from work, and they're going to buy these cars. So I don't 
I don't quite understand your 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 thought of a forever used car because I can picture that buyer for everything. I mean, you got to think there was somebody in 1969 who went to Ira Rosenberg's dealership in Danvers and bought a brand new Subaru 360. Yeah, like, I guess. During an era when you could go and for you know $2800 buy a Mercury Grand Marquis that was six times bigger than a Subaru 360. Well, they didn't sell many uh, here. But they didn't sell many, but people did buy them. And that's the same kind of buyer that in 1985 bought a Hyundai and in 1991 bought a Geo. You know, they're just they're, there's a bottom barrel market that we're not... We don't know because we're car enthusiasts. We don't look at cars as, what's the cheapest way I can get into a car? We look at cars as, what's the cheapest way I can have fun with a car, but it's a different market than what's the cheapest way I can get into a car. It does cross over because these small cars by nature wind up being fun because they're small, but it's just a whole different mindset of people that buy cars. So I I don't really quite understand where you're coming from with a forever used car because everything was new at one point, just because you wouldn't buy it new. It's just a car that seems like it's just always been a used car forever. Like, they were just right. never, ever seemed to be new. Uh, but again, that's because you were two when they were new. It's true. <laughs> you know, I never saw a 68 Camaro when it was brand new either, but because I wasn't born yet for over a decade. But you can imagine so. somebody went down the dealership and bought a brand new one because that was a car to get excited about. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I, okay, I, so I can kind of see what you're talking about. Yeah. You, you can't understand why or how somebody lands on that particular car. Exactly. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, I get you. And again, it's just, I, I think it all came down to price. The person wanted a brand new car with a warranty, and they didn't care what the emblem on the grill was, and they didn't care what the country manufacturer was. They just wanted the cheapest car that they could buy. And if it broke, it'd be fixed for free for a couple of years, and then they dump it for another one. So these these customers back then probably are the lease customers now, because leasing wasn't really a thing then. So if they bought a car every two years and just kept turning it in for a new one every two years, the cheapest car on the lot, they were essentially doing what a lease customer does now. Yeah. Keeping themselves in a new car without having to think about it. Because people don't buy these... Pe- the majority of people that buy cars buy them as an appliance. You don't think of an appliance like your refrigerator or your dishwasher as an enthusiast purchase. You don't get excited thinking about buying a new refrigerator. <coughs> Excuse me. Although you did talk about refrigerator maintenance last week, so maybe you do. I, I did. don't really know. but Listen, I got some feedback. A lot of people have Samsungs, and they're kind of annoyed with them. All right. Uh we asked the listener anyway, question. We did. Is that the end of our forever used car topic? You sure. Don't have a closing statement on that. Sure. All right. Did you have any other cars that you thought were a forever used car? No, they're just they're just kind of ones that popped in my head. But I mean, people can give us feedback on that. Okay. They might agree with you. They might agree with me. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. So we asked uh, basically like, what's the worst weather related repair you've ever had to undertake? Yeah, we're looking for listener stories. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking at Facebook, and uh, former guest, Andy Lilienthal, uh, he says it was about 100 degrees in July 
2016 and I was putting new front coil springs on my 01 Jeep Cherokee. He said I could not, for the life of me, get the axle to rotate and line up uh, the bolts on the lower control arms. I was there for way too long. Does an 01 Jeep Cherokee have a solid front axle? Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to picture how that axle rotates. Yeah, that's why everybody's into it. The axle housing itself. Yeah, they got big coil springs on them. Um, so that's yeah. interesting that, that that's, that's not a repair that was, he was forced to do in a hundred degrees. He was adding new coil springs to add new coil springs. Yeah. So Andy, that one's your fault. <laughs> yeah. He didn't have to do it in a hundred degree weather. He chose to do it in a hundred degree could weather. Could have waited till a cooler day. Um, I mean, I, I find it like, I don't even like if it's a, it would it doesn't even stick out in my mind, I guess doing a repair in hot weather, even if it's annoying because the hot weather doesn't bother me as much. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you, you're, you like it when it's a hundred degrees and a hundred percent humidity. So, yeah, but like you just drink some more water and you'll pretty much be fine. Uh, maybe maybe you take a little break. Work, Work in the shade. So you don't have the sun beating on you. Yeah, and yeah, you just drink some water, take a little break, and you'll be fine. You probably won't die. I know I spent way too long working on cars in the sun without shade. Um, And just as of the past couple of years, learned the technique to put an easy up over your working area. Oh, yeah. Because it makes a huge difference if you don't have access to a garage or something. It, it cuts the fatigue down tremendously if you don't have the sun beating on you as well as the heat itself. Well, that's, I mean, that's where the expression comes from. Shade tree mechanic. Oh, yeah, working under the shade of the tree. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, that never really uh, clicked with me, apparently. <laughs> but I don't have a big tree in my, it didn't have a big tree in my yard that covered my driveway. So I did learn the easy up trick and it's, for somebody who doesn't have a garage, it's like $100 for an easy up at Walmart. It's definitely worth purchasing just to put over the part of the vehicle you're working on. If you're working under the hood, you can put it, you know, get a 10 by 10 easy up and put it at the base of the windshield to the front of the car, and it gives you a pretty decent area to work under and keep yourself out of that direct sunlight. Mm-hmm. So, it also helps on working on things with paint or working on things that you're doing any kind of sealer with or any kind of... Um, Material that has a set time and stays out of the sun. Obviously, it stays pliable longer or dries better if you're doing paint. Or paint. You're doing your paint on your Eclipse? Yep. Yeah, that's one of the times where I utilize the, um, uh, what do you call it? Easy Easy up trick. Yeah. Sorry. Easy to forget? Easy to forget. Everything's easy to forget. My mind is like a sieve. Just forget things. All right. Justin Schmidt says uh, Volvo 960 heater core in winter. Yep. I mean, no, that's when you. the heater core goes. It's always in the winter, right? Um, he says, first of all, brass cores are unavailable. So you either buy a generic plastic and aluminum one or track down a good brass one. Um, okay. So kind of like a radiator in a Mitsubishi. All the replacement yeah. ones are plastic end tanks and they're garbage. Yeah. And <laughs> so then he says, like, if you need to track down a brass one, it's probably in a low mileage car that's in a pick and pull. Uh, he says, by the book, it's a three to four hour job. 
and he says it was February and about a mile from Lake Ontario in sub-zero wind chill. <laughs> he used a different, very different approach to remove the salvage yard part. <laughs> Just says locate 22 ounce east wing bl- uh, brick hammer. Uh, since it's a Volvo, brick hammers are an official dealer tool, and they are painted Volvo blue, so you know it's correct. Perfect. I guess Polestar blue. So East Wing racing hammer. So use the sharp edge and absolutely destroy the dash of donor car. Everything's plastic. It's like glass. Wear eye protection or Ray-Bans. <laughs> Once you extract the heater core, don't go home. Your garage is filled with two more broken Volvos that you don't want to move. So you call your mom and tell her you miss her, and then ask her to borrow your garage for an afternoon. <laughs> Uh, that's good. And he says, uh, you should be able to R&R it in eight hours or five if you've done this before. Man. Um, yeah, I don't ever, ever wish. There's a, that's, a, that's a much longer story, and it's posted on our Facebook. I don't want to read it word for word. So you can go there and read it. Um, I just kind of picked out the highlights of it. But, yeah, I don't ever want to do a heater core. Like no, their heater cores are probably universally one of the worst jobs to do in any car. I could think of a couple of cars where they're not that bad, but the majority of them are yeah. definitely. It's bad. pretty yeah. universally a bad job in every car because yeah. it it lives behind the dash, like up inside, like maybe like total total nightmare. So I've only ever done one heater core. Yeah. Um, and it was in a 2005 Pontiac Grand Am. Yeah. Um, and it was pretty much the most miserable two days of my life. I know my dad had to do the one in his blazer, and that was really terrible. Yep. Um, I know I've had heater hoses go. Yep. That's also, like, that also typically happens in cold weather, and... Like, I had to do the Montero ones at some point, maybe it was a year ago, out in my driveway. Uh, I lost a 10-millimeter short gear wrench. It fell. I never heard it hit the ground. Maybe it's living on top of the transmission, and it's still there. I don't know. Maybe it went through somebody's tire on the highway. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I never found it. (laughs) Magnets, nothing. I couldn't find it. I don't know where the hell it went. Um, In the heater core. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but that, that was one thing he told me is like, when you, when you go to take those heater hoses off the old ones, even though they're probably burst, uh, slice them at the heater core end with a razor. So you can just kind of pull them off. Yeah. So you're not putting any pressure where the, where the metal line goes into the heater core. Yes. Cause that you'll be a real sad banana. If you break the heater core off trying to do heater hoses. Yeah. It would not be, would not be a good thing. Because that would require the dash out in that vehicle as well. Uh-huh. And uh, often, could... often, so uh, especially with, like, you know, modern cars that have an AC evaporator in there, you, if you've got, like, a really old car, a heater core is probably not a super big deal. Um, you know, like a 60s, 70s car. But yeah, like once my you, Colt. Yeah, exactly. Your Colt's probably super easy. would be hard to easy. pull the dashboard out. Yeah. Yeah. But once you get into the 90s, 2000s, and they've got AC, then you have the potential issue that you need to remove the whole heater box 
that has the AC evaporator in there. And if you're lucky enough their AC works, you're going to have to have somebody recover it. Yep. Or just do the bad thing and vent it. Or even still, if it's not working, you still have to deal with all those lines there. So you either break them off or undo them. I remember when I was in the market for a Mark II Volkswagen, that was one of the big things was the heater cores went bad in them. Oh, yeah. Um, and it was a eight-hour job or so to take a dashboard out of one of those cars, and those are a fairly simple early car. Yeah. Um, I do know one car in particular that I actually happen to own that has an access door on the cowl panel for removing a heater core, and that is the Saab, the Saab 9000. So it doesn't even require... It barely requires any tools, maybe a 10 millimeter to actually unbolt the heater core once you pull the hoses off of it. But it's literally an access door on the cowl panel to pull the thing out. So that one, if you see a Saab 9000 that needs a heater core, don't shy away from it. That's an easy fix. Um, I do remember my father telling stories um, of working on crappy cars in the 70s, mm-hmm. um, like big GM cars that were you know new england rusty cars and it needed a heater core and he didn't want to pull the whole dash out and he knew where the heater core was so he pulled the fender liner out i think it was like a 75 or a 76 impala and he cut a hole in the firewall behind the fender liner and just removed it out and then tack welded the hole back on when he put the new heater core in and threw the fender liner in and nobody was ever the wiser so he yeah, wouldn't do that in a, a customer's. He wouldn't do that in a customer's car, but it was his own personal car. So yeah, yeah, that was a body man solution. Yeah, yeah, just get out the air chisel. Take care of it. So I think it was, I think it was my mom's car. He told me that story about. So maybe it was an even earlier car, but I think I think it was like a mid seventies Impala or something like that. It pre it predates me, so I couldn't tell you the actual story. But yeah, no, heated cores are definitely a red flag, um, unless the car is super cheap and you're willing to take the dashboard out of it. I would not buy a car with a bad heater core. <coughs> Excuse me. No, I remember right. um, before my dad built the garage, like he had to do stuff sometimes out in the winter in the in the driveway. It was even before we had like a paved driveway, so he'd be out laying in the snow right. doing stuff. Ah, brutal. Never happy. No, I, uh, we were definitely spoiled. Um, you're definitely spoiled by your father having a giant heated garage with a lift in it. So it wasn't always heated. No, but it is now, and that's what I mean. You're you're definitely yeah. spoiled now, no question. So, man, call me um, out. Yeah, well, I'm up in my high castle here. We still, we still, we we post pictures of you working on cars in there. People know what's going on. <laughs> hey. You don't often see a garage with finished walls that's not also climate controlled, so. Yeah, I mean, I dig around in the dirt sometimes. I had to. Oh, of course, I know you do. I had to roll around on the ground and get the starter done in the Montero. One hundred percent. And I'm not taking that away from you. I'm just saying that you are spoiled when you have to do a long-term project. Yeah. You have a garage and access. So. I'm living out here in Phoenix now in an apartment, and I'm, like, jonesing to do something, but I can't because I live in an apartment, and it's strictly forbidden. So, no car work here. Yeah. Um, all right. We uh, Let's see. Let's go to Instagram. <clears throat> Good. Uh, Camping While Awesome. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure say... which member of the Driving While Awesome team posted this, but... Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Towing a boat down 
through Baja. Trailer tire blows out at highway speeds. It's 100 Never. in the shade, yeah. if there was any. Lug nuts are rusty, as Barnacle's ass. Uh, a little outside of AAA tow zone. We used motor oil to free the lugs by slowly working it on on it for an hour in shorts and flip-flops. Bloody hands, but eventually eventually got the spare on. Yeah, it sounds miserable. I've never actually heard... Coming from the Northeast, there's always been some kind of penetrating fluid in the work workbench. So I've never heard of using used motor oil to... Or new motor oil to loosen up rusty lug nuts. Yeah, it's not going to penetrate as well, because it's not designed to, but... Yep. In a pinch, if that's help. all you've yeah. got. I don't see why it wouldn't work. That's a good, like, top tech tip from the Camping Well Awesome guys because that's something I never would have even thought of. And uh, I assume it's a boat trailer, so it probably put a boat in the ocean, which is why it was rusty. Because they're based out of, you know, Central California where cars don't rust. So, so. I mean, basically, Marvel Mystery Oil is like transmission fluid. Mm-hmm. And that's can be used... Um, as a penetrant too. That's an old school right. penetrant. But they're on the side of the roads. So they had to work with what they had. You, they had yeah, I mean, you could have a bottle oil, of transmission yeah. fluid. I guess, possibly. But oil is more common, I would think, to have in the in the in the in the trunk or the back of the truck or whatever they happen to be towing with at the time. But it sounds miserable, and I don't envy them at all. I have definitely um, changed tires in some poor, poor weather conditions i know i tried to change a tire on the side of the road on the highway in the pouring rain at about 50 degrees one time Ah. which 50 degrees doesn't sound bad but it is when it's pouring rain and that was i think it was after the jack had broken or the jack broke doing that we wound up having to call a triple a service to change a tire because that jack didn't work that wasn't fun yeah Miserable. That was in a talon, obviously. Oh, yeah. I think that jack ended up in the ocean. Maybe that's why it happened, because I'd already thrown the jack in the ocean. Yeah. I don't remember. <laughs> I didn't throw it. I, okay. So, just so everybody knows, <laughs> this is well past the statute of limitations. Um, I did throw a jack in the ocean. It was not a hydraulic jack, just a metal jack, so hopefully it's now part of a coral reef off the coast of Salem, Massachusetts. Um, But I had a flat tire, and I jacked the car up, and my e-brake did not work. And the car wound up rolling forward while it was on the jack, and the wheel was off the car. So it came crashing down on the ground, and... I got frustrated at the jack because obviously it was the jack's fault. And we happened to be in the parking lot of a restaurant that is on the ocean. And I may have in a fit of rage, um, which young dumb me probably was a lot less patient than I am now, uh, chucked the jack into the ocean and then immediately regretted it because now my car was on the ground with no jack and no tire on the left rear. So, yes, this was... I was probably like 19 or 20. Um, yeah. So... I don't even know how the car got a flat. It was... There were paving Bridge Street in Salem. And I pinched the sidewall on an exposed elevated manhole cover. Yep. So, 
yeah, that jack wound up in the Atlantic Ocean, and I did not replace the jack, which is why when I got a flat tire later on down the road, <laughs> I didn't have a jack, and I wound up having to call AAA to change my tire embarrassingly. And that was when AAA put the jack through my quarter panel. Yep. So. Well, they all rot in that spot. Yeah, it was a miserable month or two of car ownership, I think. But yes, I did. I did unfortunately chuck a jack into the ocean. Um, never a battery like the current uh, internet meme says I'm supposed to do. I did never. I never did throw a battery in the ocean because that would be really bad. Just a non-hydraulic metal jack. All right. Um, I've, I've done enough environmentally good things to offset it by now, I think, so it's fine. <laughs> just just ignore I said anything. All right. The Good Tyrant. Uh, most of my repairs seem to be in the winter. Uh, last year, I replaced the coolant lines. Ah. They go to the heater core on my 97 Forerunner, took the intake manifold off, and I still had trouble getting to one of them. Man, yeah. taking the intake manifold off is my least favorite thing to do on a car. When I look at any repair like note or repair procedure and it starts with remove intake manifold, I immediately get angry. Yeah. Because it's it's so unrelated to most of the things it's in the way of. Like working on the valve cover gaskets on your Montero or doing I don't know, anything in the firewall area of most horizontally opposed V um, uh, sorry. Yeah, horizontally opposed V six cars. Like First step, remove intake manifold. So you don't. No, I don't want to do it. You don't own many V6 fuel injected cars then? I don't. I don't own many fuel injected cars, period. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, you don't have to take a, your Tree Fitty intake manifold off to do spark plugs. No. No, but if you own, like, a common V6 front wheel drive car, like most of them, like a GM front-wheel drive car, you have to take the intake manifold off to reach the spark plugs in the back, or the valve cover in the back. I did that same job. I did the valve cover gaskets in that same Pontiac Grand Am that I did the heat core in, and it was, yeah, remove intake manifold was step number one. And I was just like, blah, I don't want to do this. Yeah. I'm already angry. A valve cover should take me literally 10 minutes to unbolt six bolts and put a gasket in and re-bolt down. On a four-cylinder car? On anything, on a V8 car, on a V6 car. It shouldn't have anything hanging over it in the way. But that's just grumpy me not wanting to work on new cars. I want the intake manifold to go straight up and down. Like it always used to do. Even on V-shaped engines in the past, you don't think about anything with a carburetor or a throttle body. Yeah, because it just... A throttle body as in like throttle body injection. Yeah. But they have way better throttle response because you have actual intake runners. I don't need throttle response. I just need easy access. Just give me a carburetor. It's fine. All right. At the end of the day, it's always easier as XR, far as working on it goes. XR4 Tim. I did diagnose my nose start in my typhoon in uh, Talk, Alaska in December one year. This sounds like a nightmare story. He says yeah. it was 20, negative 20 degrees Fahrenheit plus an 80-mile-per-hour wind. I could only be at the Typhoon for about five minutes at a time before having to run back inside and warm up. The wind blew the hood shut of my hand at one point. He said he, he said he also did a fuel pump at a Tahoe once outside, negative 20. He says, I'm glad I moved. I'm also glad you moved because that is horrifying. I mean, good for I him driving a Typhoon up there. 
I mean, it's all-wheel drive. It makes sense. Yeah. I would have lit the truck on fire for heat. Yeah. I, I couldn't do it. I recently... Um, I was listening to... It was the 99% Invisible podcast. Okay. And I'm forgetting the name of the town in Alaska, but it is inaccessible by roads. Uh, it is only accessible by barge or plane, except in the wintertime... You could have like uh, eighteen wheels can drive over the the water, the ice. They'll use the ice roads, um, but most of the year it's inaccessible by vehicle. But the area around the town has roads, so like this lady that lives there has been counting all the junk cars, and they're well into like the thousands of junk cars that are just, just piling sitting up. there. Yeah, because they have to barge them out. So, so a couple things happen here, and they explain it like, you know, it's hard to get stuff there. It's hard to find parts, clearly, and it's expensive because they're kind of in the middle of nowhere. So people will take a similar vehicle to what they have. You know, they'll have like two, you know, Jeeps. One will be a parts Jeep, and then they'll have their usable Jeep, and when it breaks... They'll steal parts off their parts Jeep. And if somebody's selling another Jeep, they'll buy one and put it in their yard. So, like, a lot of these vehicles are just, like, extra cars, parts cars in yards. But then they were talking about how, like, people just get sick of living there. So, they'll, like, just um, go to the airport and just leave a car there and just fly away and just move and just leave the car there. And it costs, like... $50 $50 to just, like, dispose of these vehicles every time. Okay. It was kind of crazy, yeah. I was just, it just popped in my head talking about Alaska. That's a random story. But it was it was just an interesting thing of, like, how they deal with it. Like It sounds like they don't deal with it. Yeah, well, they sort of do, like, well, they'll just, like, park them places, or they just, like, it's basically their point, this woman was like, She's like, listen, I'm guilty of it too. Like, I I use a car to get around. Like, I have an extra car. But, like, you know, we need to do something about this because otherwise they're piling up here. Like, we need to figure out something. I suggest they throw them in the ocean. Oh, so. It worked worked for my jack. That that is actually part (laughs) of the story. (laughs) At one point, they had built a seawall out of junk cars. Okay. But, um,. They didn't, you know, remove all the hazardous materials from these cars. Okay. Okay. So at some point in the 90s, they're like, yeah, we, you can't do that anymore. We have to take this all down so that the the seawall is not there anymore. But yeah, they were using them like that. That seems like it would kind of work if they actually did drain fluids out of them. Yeah. And then they would just return back to the earth as they slowly rusted away. Exactly. And they could replace sections of the wall with new junk cars. Yeah. Kind of wild. But that is wild. It looks like uh, XR4 Tim moved from Alaska to Ohio, so I don't know how much better his life is there. It's also cold in Ohio, so um, he might still have some future cold weather car repair stories. Not at negative 20 degrees, probably, with 80-mile-an-hour winds, but I guess if he did work on cars at negative 20, working on cars at positive 20 is probably like summertime. Yeah, probably. So maybe it's not that big a deal. But I can't imagine being in Alaska in December ever. Um, 
especially in Talk, Alaska, where it's negative 20 degrees. That does not sound good to me. Considering I just moved somewhere where it's 75 degrees in mid-November right now, so. Gross. I do want to see Alaska, just not in the wintertime. Ever. Uh, Stunt Nuts 4130. Yep. Says he had 2001 Audi A4, 1.8T. It's a downpipe, outside, on his back, in the dead of winter. All hex-shaped bolts were rusted to round. Yep. That seems like a miserable time, too. Sure um, does. That's not a super accessible part on an Audi, either. It isn't? Especially if it was a Quattro, because it has all the... I don't know, there's a lot of stuff going on in there. Because you got one of those A4s, they have a longitudinal um, engine setup. So oh, it's gonna be... right. All fouled by the, you know, the subframe and the drive axles and all that stuff's going to be in the way. So I can't imagine doing that on the ground in the dead of winter either. I hope there was a hole in it and you had to replace it. And you weren't just doing a performance upgrade in the middle of winter. Because if that's what you did, then no sympathy. But if you needed to replace it, then that sucks. That's awful. Um, Knife Informer James. On a 27-degree day, I discovered why you don't fill your BMW's coolant tank up with water when it leaks. It will freeze up on the highway and overheat. And when you crack the cap open and vent it, it will explode and burn your stupid arm. That's a uh, that's a general thing you should just do all the time, is not open a coolant reservoir when the vehicle is hot. I assume Especially that was... when it's overheating. Yeah. I assume that was a young person mistake because i know he's a pretty well-established technician oh i'm sure it was early on in his uh his automotive career yeah i don't know when he even had a bmw that's since i've known him anyway that's uh that's how you learn things though i guess yeah no you, you gotta you gotta get burnt right <laughs> yeah literally um, i i watched a guy get like scalded really bad once by a radiator um, he wasn't even working on the car. He was just walking by somebody else in the parking lot. And that somebody else happened to open the radiator cap at that exact moment and covered him in boiling hot water and, like, burned his shirt to his skin. So, it's, it's really, when it's really hot, it's really bad. It can really injure you. Yeah, there's so a reason why it says don't do it. Yeah, no, that, that, that's, it's boiling hot water and you don't want it sprayed at you at any kind of velocity. I mean, also, like... When you touch the cap, it will burn your hand. So maybe that's an indicator of how hot the liquid inside yeah. is, yeah. or the fact that you need to use a rag to vent it if you really had to. Well, I'll give James a little extra credit on this one because it was a BMW. It probably had a plastic cap. Oh, so and it, it was the coolant have, overflow. It was the overflow, so it wasn't the radiator. So I can see a less experienced. Um, if this was early on in his wrenching career, if it happened recently, James, I have no, I have no excuse for you. But if this happened early on, I could see that being, oh, it's just the reservoir. It's and it froze, so it shouldn't be a big deal. But obviously, it is. Um, freezing water in cars is bad um, anyway because it can break cylinder blocks, cylinder heads, radiators, hoses, expansion tanks, all that stuff when it freezes because water obviously expands when it freezes 
which is why it's important if you live in a cold state to check the um, the strength of your antifreeze every winter before it gets cold. Mm-hmm. They they sell a little tool at the parts store that you can you know open up your reservoir when it's cold and stick the little thing inside and see how good your coolant is, and that's obviously something you should do if you live anywhere where it goes below freezing. Yep. Because you wouldn't want to have a cracked block. And, you know, if you run your car at the drag strip or something and you run straight water in the summertime, you got to remember to, hey, i got to swap this over in time for in time for winter. Or if you worked on your car in the summertime and you just constantly put water in it because you're trying to diagnose an issue and you didn't want to spend 20 bucks a gallon for coolant, then now it's time to put some coolant in there and make sure you're not going to break anything. So I always make sure I check that every year. Um, I didn't check it this year because I wasn't there, but I'm sure it's fine. Everything has, every, I know everything has coolant in it at least, so. Yeah. You're probably I fine. I think it does, unless Astarian doesn't. I think it does, though. The white one. I feel like we took, um, we had something used, no, we, we had like used coolant from something. Yeah. We didn't have the radio out of, the radio was not out of the car. So. No, but it was, uh, <laughs> it was low because the oh, hose needs, let go. It, Oh, yeah, the hose let go. That's right. Yeah, we swapped the hose. It was one of the last things we did. Yeah. So pretty probably sure we put coolant, coolant in, it. in it. I should probably just have you go over there and check it. Ah, <laughs> oh, shit. I'm I'm pretty sure, like, we drained some coolant out of the purple Starion that didn't look very old and didn't want to. Yeah, because I just, I just put it in there. Yeah, so we didn't want to waste it. So I'm pretty sure we put it in the white Starion. <laughs> Oh, maybe you or my dad can check the car tomorrow because I didn't think about it. Yeah. Um, the purple, the purple Starion Conquest doesn't have any coolant in it. No, it's air cooled. At the moment, it's air cooled. The radiator is not in the car. Yes. So, but everything else, I know that the um, Colts all have coolant in them, so I'm not worried about it. And the radiator, this the radiator, the Raider. This is its second winter sitting, so that's fine too. Motor's junk anyways. Well, I still wouldn't want to break the radiator or anything else. Whatever. Stupid truck. Moving on. Moving on. My phone went to sleep here. Uh, Actually, the last one is our friend Frank, who just said, 76 Mustang, V6, automatic, was 5 above 0, and that's all the information he gave us. So... I asked him what he had to do, but he did not respond after that. He must have gotten busy at work or something. Um, so yeah, that doesn't sound good. But I mean, it doesn't. Maybe maybe you were just driving it and it was fine. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> Sorry, Frank. Not enough information. Can't discuss your story. Although a '76 Mustang is already a questionable vehicle. Yeah. And a V6 '76 Mustang is definitely a questionable vehicle. And a V6 automatic '76 Mustang sounds pretty. Pretty, uh, pretty terrible. Cause that'd be a Mustang too. So, not good. I do like them because I like terrible cars, but most people do not. Yeah. What? Uh, what was it? What did you post? An AMC, AMX, something. What did you post to our page? It was a seventy-seven AMC Hornet, AMX. It was a one-year-only. Um, sticker package muscle car okay it wasn't like a didn't have any more performance than a standard amc hornet yep but it looked like it did oh so so it wasn't just a hornet because it was yellow 
No, the model is an AMC Hornet. Oh. So they replaced the Rambler with the Hornet. And you could get a Hornet sedan, a coupe, and a station wagon. And that was in 1970. Yeah. They did make a little muscle car version of the car in 1971 that they called the SC360. So it was a Hornet SC360, and that had an AMC 360 in it, which was like 270 horse or something like that in a small car. So that was a neat little muscle car. Then by 73, the bumpers got bigger. 74, the bumpers got bigger. 75, there was like a model refresh, minor redesign. And that was the same as the 77 that I posted the picture of. And by then, they were mid-70s, smogged out. That was a 304 cubic inch V8 in that car, and it made 120 horsepower. So it's definitely not a fast car by any means. I've never seen one before. You've definitely seen a Hornet, but you probably didn't realize it. Yeah. Because I know there's at least one Hornet in our general area that I've seen. Um, They're very AMC. They're very their own car. They all had the same door handles that they put on even the AMC Eagles all through the 80s. Um, the like aluminum little side ones, they kind of popped out like a Jeep Wrangler door handle, which makes sense because Jeep Wranglers were designed by AMC. <laughs> um, they're neat cars. I've always liked the 70, 71, 72, um, Hornets because they were the, obviously the, the way the car was intended, the original design before they started getting the mandated big bumpers on them. And the SC360 was always kind of like my underdog, like cheap, cheaper muscle car. It wouldn't cost as much as like an SS Chevelle or a, you know, Boss Rio Drew Mustang because it was an AMC. And they were pretty neat looking. Um, the general public probably knows more about the AMC Hornet now because of uh, Mike Finnegan from Roadkill has his own show. Uh, the Finnegan Speed and Marine one there. And his buddy has the Green Hornet station wagon. They call it the Green Hornet. And it's been featured a bunch of times on that show. And they did it's a straight six car that they've done nitrous and shift kits and different rear gears and all kinds of stuff to it to make it faster. Uh, and it even wound up being on the Hoonigan channel on one of the early daily transmissions because he drove it from Georgia to California. And then he did a big, you know, smoky burnout on their loading dock with that. The Green Hornet. So, ah. <clears throat> I, I I love AMCs because, again, I've always liked the weird oddball stuff. That was a lot of esoteric knowledge. I guess. <laughs> it's, just this, it's just the stuff that's in my brain because I've always been into these things. Um, I don't have any excuse for the reason I've always been into these things. I've always been into these things. Um, if, if you looked up a uh, 71 AMC... SC360, you would actually probably like the car. It's a, it's a good-looking car, and it's a cool <clears throat> alternative muscle car. So, yeah, you don't see many, you just don't see many AMC's. No, no, they didn't. They didn't have the following that the other brands did. They were a smaller brand, and they made less of them and sold less of them. So, again, that's probably why I find myself drawn to them. I've always liked Javelins. I've always liked AMXs. I've always liked Ramblers. You know, we, the uh, the SC Rambler, the Scrambler, was the Rambler in red, white, and blue with a big, giant hood scoop. was always a, 
a favorite of mine growing up because it was so ostentatious and so different than anything else that you ever saw. So I, I, I've always just had a a liking for these cars. I don't, I don't know why, but I've always just found myself attracted to them. Probably why I have Colts, because they're just weird and different. I don't want the normal. I want the different. I sent him a picture of a 71 uh, SC360, so you can take a look at that. That'll be my mission this year, is to try to find one somewhere, take a picture of to post to our page. All right. I do like posting. Probably a better chances where you are. Original pictures. Well, I did see the 77 AMC AMX, which is even rarer. So uh, it turns out later on I was uh, looking at, because whenever I see a weird car like that, I do start looking into it a little bit more. Um, and yesterday I was playing around on the internet and I found out that that particular car, that same yellow car I took pictures of, there's a feature article in one of the Hemmings magazines ah. on that car. So I found a little more information out about that particular car. But um, So if you search 77 AMC AMX, the article is one of the first things that comes up, actually. So, yep. Something for our listeners to do homework-wise. Go r- learn more about random AMCs from the 70s that nobody cares about but me and the guy that owns it. All right. Super cool. Yeah. Um, anything else? I don't think so. No. I still haven't done anything car-wise since last I chatted with you. No. Um, I am doing a scenic um, quote-unquote rally this weekend. Yeah. So I'll uh, hopefully have some tales and stories and pictures to, to share from that. Um, i got to detail the eclipse up on Friday, take that out on Saturday morning. Um, it looks like a portion of this will be on dirt roads, so it won't be detailed for long, but I definitely want to start clean anyway. So Yeah, the car needed a good detailing. You hadn't had time to do it. so I haven't done it yet, no, so it's going to be Friday night's plan. So Yeah. Anyway, so next episode, hopefully we'll have uh, positive stories to tell about that. All right. Sounds yeah. good. All right. So you can follow us on Facebook, Auto Off Topic Podcast, Auto Off Topic on Instagram, for great pictures, we always try to post. Well, we always do. We always post original pictures that you and I take. Yep. Um, uh, some are better than others, but we do a pretty good job. And if um, we do say so ourselves, yeah. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, Race and Anger. Brad, where can they find you? Uh, I'm on Instagram at tsiss three five zero. All right. So keep cars analog and aim for the roses. <laughs> <laughs>